This episode you are about to enjoy is a previously recorded episode from The Unfiltered Historian. Well, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Unfiltered Historian Presents Unfiltered Conversations from Across the Pond with a longer subtitle today, of course, because we have a book club announcement, and we'll get to that in a minute. But we have three of us on tonight, finally, so I just wanted to take the time to welcome you guys to another episode. And thank you, Tim, and thank you, Daz, for joining us at this 9.55 hour tonight. How is everybody doing? Good. Thank you very much. Good. Fantastic. Awesome. So we've had a nice busy day yesterday, uh, freezing while we were at it, uh, because here in Virginia, it's really, really, really cold outside. Well, it's made international news, so yes. Yeah, he was telling me earlier Mm. that our little cold selves made some international news yesterday. Mm. We got to see some really cool stuff out. We went to the Manassas Battlefield, and uh, Tim, we went to Portisi yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. And they have this really cool winter encampment exhibition going on at the Manassas Battlefield right now, which I highly suggest if you're in the area or if you happen to be near Manassas anytime soon, you take a stop by while there's still snow on the ground. Because if you want to add that realism to it, now is the time to do it, folks. We got to stand around a fire, which was almost out of necessity because it, again, was like, I don't want to say sub-zero. So so they're calling it a bomb cyclone here. That's what it's titled as. I mean, he was east. cold, but I'll tell, tell you, like, and even well, reaches the Sunshine State. The couple hilltops we were on, both at uh, Warrington and there at the Portisi site, when the wind whipped across, it was. Well, <laughs> it, it was. 
Yeah, there's a term I like to use. It's called brass monkeys. <laughs> That's not wrong. I mean, we were like, can we go back down now? Can we go back down now? <laughs> Let's go that way. Well, the worst, the worst it probably felt all day was that day at the Warrington Cemetery when we were out looking around there. It was like, yeah. Was it, well, was it like, you know, have you ever seen that film, uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, when they go and get the Christmas tree and the girl's eyes are like frozen over and she goes, Look, look at the tree, Audrey. And she goes, She'll look at it later. Her eyes are frozen. <laughs> yeah. It was very. I don't know that any of us got quite like that the first time, the first time we were really cold at Portisi, but later when we went to Warrington, it was as if the temperature dropped to like three or four degrees. Yeah. And the wind was just howling. Uh there were snow drifts in the in the cemetery. It was <laughs> it was nuts, all in the pursuit of history. We had we're under some delusion that we might have been able to film up there, but well, I've got to take my hat off to you guys because you're very brave. That was not there was there was less than zero chance that we would I don't care what kind of mic we had, the best stuff wouldn't have worked up there. It was it was awful. That's the thing, man. Like I was like, yeah, let's film here. Let's do a video here. No, wasn't happening. You could just hear the wind number one and like it just it felt sub zero. And then we had a one of our fellow viewers here comment he's like yeah it's only negative 15 here in new york i was like okay you can keep that crap that <laughs> negative 15 wind chill no sir but I it mean, almost it, felt like that's what we had it, it, i think it with the wind chill i think we we're in single digits but yeah negative 15 no. that brings back bad memories Oof. yeah i must say you have probably experienced uh, sub-zero temperature before yeah, but I haven't in six no, years, so that's no, out of my system. <laughs> well, let's start, I guess, with the big elephant in the room here, which would be the uh, book club announcement. Not the elephant's a bad way. I shouldn't say it's a bad thing this time, but uh, we did experience a wonderful trip to Second Manassas, and Tim came up with this great idea, so I want to make sure he gets full credit for this idea because this is an awesome thing we're going to be bringing up to the Unfiltered Historian page here. But for those that are interested in following along with what we are reading currently, I will shall lift up the book that we are working on currently, which is Return to Bull Run by John J. Hennessy, The Campaign and Battle of Second Manassas. Now, as you all know, Tim likes to make me time travel quite a bit. Uh, so I've been through the Revolutionary War. I mean, the uh, guy can't make his mind up. One minute you go into the revolution, now you're going back to the Civil War. It's not my fault. I have friends like you guys that throw me through where so going, many where historical next week, loops. Tim? Yeah, I'm where are we going? stay for a bit. Okay, cool. So we're staying put. And I have the Titanic Ship Magnificent books on the way, according to my mother and grandmother, for an early birthday present. And as well as John Hennessy's other uh, Second Manassas map study. So I'm really going to be time traveling here in the next couple of weeks. But I, I'm sticking much with this because this has been an interest uh and especially the first few pages of the book has already pretty much engrossed me into it so i'm really excited for that but how we're going to work this thing uh tim brought up some great ideas how we're going to do this so we're going to read a couple chapters and then we're going to plan to visit again so long as the sub-zero temperatures don't prevent us from doing so uh do some videos from the field uh in relation to what we're reading and kind of where we're going because we have that access so I, th- I figured that would be a fantastic idea so i echoed that i was like this would be amazing to do with you guys and you know we can do this with a lot of the reading and since it is the 160th of the 1862 period in the civil war why not you know cover quite a bit and it doesn't have to be in a uh 
chronological order because we're the unfiltered historians here. Why would we follow any type of structure when it comes to that? So we could do Antietam in the middle of the summer. We could be doing, you know, Fredericksburg in November, for God's sakes. It's just whatever we kind of feel like we want to put out. So definitely check in and see what we're going to do after this. But as for now, yes, Return to Bull Run is our start because it's a very interesting battle and one that I know little to nothing about mm-hmm. and have visited places yesterday like the Unfinished Railroad Cut, which was uh, awesome, number one. And I, I think that's kind of where I really have that focus. But at the same time, one of the locations that really stuck out to me uh, not it wasn't even yesterday that we went to. It, Tim took me to the battlefield last weekend, and we went to this location at Bronner Farm where we talked about a very severe firefight that breaks out between the Stonewall Brigade and the Iron Brigade. Those damn black hats. It's actually where they get their uh, that quote comes from, if I'm not mistaken, Tim. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's where they they Tim, gain their reputation. Could you paint the picture of Second Manassas for us, please? I was hoping somebody would ask because I was going to. Thank you, Daz. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. No, man. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. Man. You do uh, have the so, set for this. So all this basically stems from, you know, it, it, I don't know, for any of our followers who don't know about my Facebook group, I have a, uh, had a group called the uh, Peninsula Campaign, and I actually gave a lot of thought to it, and I've now expanded it to include pretty much everything in Virginia for 1862, because it's all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, so in early 1862, March timeframe, uh, George B. McClellan goes down, you know, takes his army to the Potomac, um, which had done very little for the previous five, six months. Um, excluding Ball's Bluff, of course, but uh, it takes him down to the peninsula, starts driving up the peninsula. In the meantime, to sort of keep Union forces tied down, prevent additional reinforcements from McClellan, Stonewall Jackson's in the valley and is operating against multiple Union forces there. And then there's a uh, Union, uh, the Union First Corps sitting at Fredericksburg, and basically they're fixing to go down after McClellan gets up to the Richmond area uh, before Lee takes command of the Army of uh, Northern Virginia. Um, But Jackson's activity basically keeps them there and they bounce around and really join very little. So McClellan basically fights the Peninsula campaign with what he has, you know, loses, loses heart or whatever you want to say, but ends up pushed all the way back to Harrison's Landing. In the meantime, that uh, army, the Union forces in that northern part of the state have been coalesced into a new army called the Army of Virginia under John Pope. And uh, after McClellan's pretty much bottled up at Harrison's Landing on the on the James River below Richmond, Lee sends Jackson up and they, they fight a uh, battle against a fragment of uh, Pope's army under uh, Nathaniel Banks at Cedar Mountain. After that, Lee joins him with the rest of the army, leaving a token force pretty much to, to hold Richmond, the Army of the Potomac's being evacuated. So Lee senses an opportunity to destroy a, a force, and John Pope had been very bombastic, talking about uh, punishing uh, Southern civilians who uh, were sympathetic to the Confederacy and, and all that. 
Um, so they basically face off for first time in the war across the Rapidan River. And then Lee will detach Jackson's wing because they didn't have corps at the time on a wide flanking march through uh, around Pope's right, crossing the uh, Rappahannock further north, um, west of what's now Warrenton. And Jackson will move into Manassas and basically hit the uh, Union supply depots. So Pope goes up trying to hunt for Jackson. And on uh, August 28th, 1862, uh, they're marching along what's known as the Warrenton Turnpike between Warrenton to the west and, and uh, Centerville to the east. When Jackson's uh, elements will hit uh, the lead division, I think under King, Rufus King, um, of what's then the Army of the uh, Army of Virginia's First Corps or Third Corps, which will eventually become the First Corps of the Army of the Potomac. So you know which units we're talking about. And in that in that element or uh, in that formation is the this brigade of Westerners. You know, the Second, Sixth, Seventh Wisconsin, and Nineteenth Indiana at the time. So it's just a four regiment brigade. And they come out and they march up towards this homestead. And at the meantime, in the meantime, Jackson, who's kept his troops hidden in this unfinished railroad cut that stretches uh, uh, across the northern portion of the what's now the battlefield, basically they come out and they engage in a you know in a couple hour firefight at close ranges. You're talking fifty to hundred yards, and no one comes out really the better for it. Uh, they just take lots of casualties. Well, the next day, the rest of the army of, or much of the rest of the army of Virginia shows up. They try to attack primarily Jackson's left. And late in the day, Longstreet shows up. Pope really has ignored, you know, the warnings of Buford, who had held the, the main gap through the pass that Lee would have come through, uh, known as Thoroughfare Gap. And basically, they form on Jackson's right, but in such a way that they're facing not only uh, Pope's left, but they are in a position to to more easily flank Pope than the other way around. And they actually engage in, in a evening or twilight fight on that flank too, yet Pope doesn't really pay much attention to that. And the next day he strips his left wing for a massive assault on Jackson's center there at the uh, Unfinished Railroad grade, uh, which is... Some say it was a near run thing. Others, it was uh, pretty relatively easily beat off. But pretty much after Jackson beats that off, Lee then senses the opportunity and sends Longstreet's wing forward and it crushes uh, Pope's left. A couple New York Zouave units get utterly decimated in a matter of a, just a couple minutes. Eventually, they hold on uh, Henry House Hill and uh, enable the rest of the army to withdraw, but it's a pretty stunning um, defeat. And for those who, you know, there's a, a pretty uh, wide-held um, view among some that Second Manassas really was, I mean, granted luck to a certain extent because it was all based on Pope not using his resources correctly and ignoring reports and you know, doing things like stripping his entire left. Um, but they really was Robert E. Lee at his best and perhaps his best victory. Um, that being said, a, a large element of, 
you know, the Ar Union Army escapes. They fight a uh, action a couple days later at Chantilly. Two Union uh, mm -hmm. division commanders are killed there, uh, Stevens and Phil Carney. Um, and pretty much right after that, Lee decides to invade the North. So these things are all um, tied very closely together. It's very fluid. So that's kind of the, the quick rundown on second Manassas in that campaign. Awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah. And so like, you know, tonight when, when I meant the caption book club announcement, we're not starting the, you know, first few chapters tonight. So don't feel bad folks. You have time to get your books. We're going to put this the uh, following Sunday. So not this upcoming Sunday, but the next Sunday we'll actually have some, some talk to do about this. We want to make sure that we can give you guys some time to acquire it or look it up on Kindle or wherever you find your reading at, um, the book itself is something I'm really looking forward to. Now, I've had a copy on my shelf for quite a while, and I've read John Hennessy's first book on First Manassas, which is awesome. And I picked up another one while we were there, um, Edward Longacre's book, which is now on hold. I was going to read that at first because I thought First Manassas was going to kind of, you know, go into the visitor center and such, thought that maybe I'd find an interest in that. But, of course, we get out to the field, and I spend about five, ten minutes out there on the second Manassas battlefield and was just enthralled with this idea of, wow, this is actually something I kind of want to learn about. It's really easy to do when we get together on the field and we start walking and, like, bouncing ideas off each other or just even learning about the battlefield. Um, and second Manassas itself seemed really cool, and seeing it, you know, snowed all over, too, was actually kind of interesting and unique experience. And one thing I wanted to talk about was what we got to see uh, at the, you know, the winter encampment that we went to, because historically we would also technically be at the one sixtieth for that, Tim, you know, we were mm -hmm. out there. And I think too, you had a good idea in going out there yesterday because as bitter cold as it was, you really got the experience of the Confederate soldiers during the winter of 61 to 62. And this is the first winter that the Confederates are enduring. Both armies are enduring here uh, during mm -hmm. this war. And they, they built this log hut, and it wasn't chinked together yet, so they didn't have all the mud put together in between the crevices of the logs that were built. And uh, supposedly they built it a little backwards to where there weren't historically – I mean, uh, they said it was to where the chimney was built on one side, and it should have been built on a, the opposite side so that they could have fit more troops in there. Um, that You know, with that in mind – Still, the chimney was a the chimney was a barrel. I thought that was pretty. Yeah, it was a barrel. That was, and now would that have been something in my mind? Is that how the chimneys would have been built? Which theoretically, I mean, I'm sure, it's the resources you probably had at the time. I mean, the guy who was who built it was was there the the park's cultural uh, resource resources manager. So you have to believe it. It was, and it was in line with other huts that we've seen elsewhere i mean uh it's not all too dissimilar from the ones out at uh the stafford civil war park you know the where the 11th corps was the following mm -hmm. winter right um, but, but by then the uh the you know, the land was stripped more bare each winter that went by, there were less and less trees. So, um, but also is worth noting, you know, each of these, you know, when the armies went to camp, they would then spread out like here in the Fredericksburg area, you know, 
right after the battle, the you know Jackson's Corps stretches out all the way down to to Port Royal, basically, and uh, similar with Longstreet on the left, and they're doing that yes to cover more terrain and to identify Union movements, but also to to keep to husband husband or access additional resources, right? Um, because an army's going to strip it bare. They said that you know within a couple months of the campaign and uh, or the winter of uh, you know 160 years ago now. Uh, two brigades basically would remove an entire forest uh, for for shelter slash fuel or or what have you. And you know that old adage it came up yesterday. You know, soldiering's you know ninety percent boredom and ten percent sheer terror, and that's uh, overestimation on the terror level. It's sure. probably closer to ninety nine percent or higher, um, because they spend you know. You can count over a course of 1862, how many days of combat are they, is the, you know, are the armies in, uh, well, 18, let's do 1863. Most people know that better. Chancellorsville's three days, Gettysburg's three days, and then not all troops are engaged at Mine Run or Bristow, but yeah, sure. Add two more on there. That's eight. Um, you know, Rappahannock Station, maybe nine, but that's it. Nine days, nine, maybe 10 days. The, the whole year is, is major combat um, involving large portions of, of an army. That isn't even 1%, is it? No. No. Out of 365 days in a year. So they're, you know, and that's, that would be for a, a soldier who was engaged in every single one of those fights, which I don't think was actually the case. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for the average guy in Hills Brigade, Hills elements, they're yeah, they're at Chancellorsville, you know, three of the day, all three days, cool. Gettysburg, they're engaged, you know, two days, first and third. Uh, so it, it's worth. Uh, thinking about i think i think so too and that's one thing i really liked about going out yesterday was you know i'm someone who like yourself and as you too we read a lot about these battles we in a lot of the times we kind of let slip the the daily life of the soldier Mm. because we're always in their one percent of their lives in the war and that's the battles you know the sheer terror is that little minute part and the boredom really sets in for most of the war because you're sitting around at a campsite or you're sitting around in a winter hut or you're sitting around sometimes, if, you know, if you're lucky, you have a tent. And we just focus on so many of these battles, but it was the daily life of a soldier, which really made up the bulk of the soldier experience during the war. And if you think in 1862, the conditions are not great either. Shoot, they're not great in 61 or 62. It's still like a finding I mean, out period. Like, let's see got, how this you've goes. You've got out a break of lice and dysentery and all sorts of different horrible diseases going around the camps. But that is probably because they're filthy. Um, as, Can we as relate guys, today? When Hooker comes in, he cleans the act up a bit, doesn't he? But um, Right, but Hooker can't stop disease. As, ho- no, as good course. as Hooker is, I mean, gosh, if he could have done that, what type of pedestal? I mean, disease is the biggest on? killer in the Civil War. Sure. And that was brought up, actually, when we were at the uh, the 
the encampment yesterday, you know, they were talking about all these guys huddled together in a little winter hut like Mm -hmm. that. And you think about that. How does the disease spread? Look at today. Look at this, you know, the COVID going around today, how crazy that is spread and how easy that's spread. And we're, we're told to be six feet apart. We're told to wear masks, right? Well, we didn't have masks. We weren't six feet apart in the Civil War. I mean, you were pretty close together because body heat goes a long way in a war like that. And with all these folks kind of huddled together inside of a hut, you think disease is going to stop a nice smell, smell. I'm sure just lovely I've heard stories of people being told to get down into the and have a wash. You right. Know. Well, where are you going to wash at in the middle of? Well, January, not in the winter, but I'm just saying, you know, you know, when they clean up their acts there, you know, some people are forced to wash. Yeah. And disgustingly <laughs> filthy, but then that's well, that period. So everyone's dirty. I'll tell you just two days, uh, Tim, I found a picture recently of us firing the cannon there for the park. And I was looking at it and I was like, I remember sleeping outside for three days and then going back in the visitor center and people running away from me. And the other guys that were in gray uniforms, they were like, no, stay away. Actually, stay far away. You need to go back to your quarters and take a shower. I'm like, even if he was walking down a normal street in that period, it would stink anyway. You oh, think sure. of what they, you know, there's no, you know, drainage system then, is there? So yeah. everything they chuck away gets chucked in the street. Yeah. Chuck your chamber Literally. pot out the window. Everything. Make sure you hit Benjamin Butler with it if you're living in New Orleans, because that was go. the thing that happened. In <laughs> fact, and then just a fun fact um, from reading Army of Amateurs um, earlier last year. Did you know they actually sold chamber pots in New Orleans with the picture of Benjamin uh-huh. Butler at the base of the chamber pot? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah, poor but Ken Burns talks about it too. Does he really? Yeah. Why do I not? God, there's so he was much unlucky in the enough to live on a street where you had a tannery. God help you. Mm-hmm. Fredericksburg. Well, Petty, that's man. the modern. Yeah. Ver- that's the uh, 19th century. The closest equivalent we have today are paper factories because they stink pretty bad too. But tanneries, tanneries were much worse because they use urine and all that in the exactly. of the hides. Mm-hmm. One of the other things, like even on campaign, keep in mind, you know, Gettysburg campaign, they fight, you know, different engagements take up a few days. But more, most of the time it's marching and it's marching yeah. insanely long distances. Like one of the elements of this, of the second Manassas campaign that's just really interesting is the uh, route of march to Jackson. I mean, you can follow it today. Yeah. You can go to where they started and you can follow it all the way around, all the way up to basically 211, the road that connects Warrington and Sprayville. And then they continue past that to basically what's 66 now. And then through Thoroughfare Gap and stuff. So it's really long distances and it's just. I mean, he pushes them guys, don't he? Oh, yeah. he, He actually makes them travel light. Is that correct? Yeah, and that's why they're so enthusiastic when they capture the Union Supply Depot because they're they're (laughs) hungry. Yeah. Um, These guys, um, we and Tim were talking about them last night. So they start out in Richmond on the 27th mm -hmm. and make it to Manassas on the 30th. So so Richmond is 50 miles from Fredericksburg. Yeah. Yeah. They're all thereabouts. And it's roughly another 40 to 45 to Manassas. From here in Fredericksburg, I can't even fathom that. Right, and they're they're pushing it, man. I mean, because they stop you know, in Ashland for like all said. of like an hour and a half. I mean, and their feet must they have been killing the them. Trains, though, didn't they? 
didn't they? Oh, I suppose. Oh, some some occasions no, they did. They you know? walked the entire way. That's just sheer grit, man. Like, how the hell did you manage a march? Even driving, I'm just you're almost fatigued driving. Yeah, but that. then Jackson he marches his men all over the Shenandoah Valley and then still goes and fights a battle and wins it. Yeah. And like, look, we're lucky enough. We can stop at McDonald's and use our wonderful little McDonald's apps and get some burgers <laughs> and we'll feed ourselves and just get home in a couple hours. If that, dude, these guys are marching from Richmond to Manassas in three days like that. And it's just, it's incredible to even try to fathom how these men were able to pull something mm. like that off and then it fight the way else. they do. The tenacity of the fight that they bring to Manassas too. You're just like, how in the hell do you do that? Mm-hmm. These, these men in the civil war were absolutely a different breed. And I understand why that is such a common term when we talk about, wow, these men were a different breed. And if I had, you know, a dollar for every time I heard that working at the park, I mean, I'd be a rich man right now living in a stately mansion because that that's true. And it's not just a, you know, a cliche form of words. This is real. These guys are literally pushing human endurance to the brink of extremism when they're marching like this. And we can, I mean, of course you have so many battles where you can say that they've done this, but having been on this route from just Fredericksburg to Manassas and then trying to consider going from Richmond all the way up in three days on foot. They've got me beat. I'm not doing that. No way. No. No. And, you know, it's just how one thing that I really found impressive too going there was the railroad cut itself. Uh, the size of it today and the stories behind, you know, some of the rock throwing it takes place. And, and one of the things that really stuck out to me, too, was the, the monuments that got put up at Manassas. You know, that was really, really interesting to see because, of course, monuments today are a very controversial issue. But to think about, right, I mean, and these, Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, these are two of the oldest monuments, there's Civil War monuments that are in existence today. Theoretically, the war wasn't even over when they went up. You know what I mean? So it obviously soldiers from both sides had a notion to try to memorialize what happened on these fields. Soldiers themselves, not us. Of course, we're, you know, we're future tense looking at this, but these soldiers put up these monuments during their lifetime before the war is almost over in two separate locations at Manassas. So there's a very strong significance, I think, to Manassas, both first and second in the annals of civil war history. And yeah, one of the, uh, you'll frequently, you know, in articles that relate to Manassas, the battlefield comes up in the local news, probably more than any other civil war battlefield. Um, it came up in the nineties when they proposed the Disney park, they proposed other things in vicinity or on Manassas. Uh, now it's a data center out near the Bronner farm. Um, but it comes up every year in regards to the traffic, uh, because it's a, it's a two lane road moving through the park. Um, you know, and there is an, a way around that's I 66, but people don't want it because it, it, that gets backed up. So, you know, they're like, Oh, we should widen the park and the park doesn't want that because that's every, you widen the road, you destroy historic resources, mm-hmm. the, the terrain. Um, and a lot of people go then, you know, when, when they're uh, foiled in their logical arguments, you'll often hear, 
that um, hear people say, well, oh. why are we memorializing it? It was a union defeat. And I'm like, well, in that one, the, the answer is quite, quite specific or quite blunt. It's because the, the union soldiers themselves wanted it that way. Uh, the, those were the first two battles that they, they erected stuff to. Yes. Um, first Manassas showed, uh, the North, that it wasn't going to be a short war. Uh, second Manassas kind of solidified what Lincoln was already thinking and also what the, the, you know, brought the rest of the North towards his line of thinking that, uh, you know, as they say, uh, in a couple documentaries, I think Ken Burns as well, that uh, that the union as it was was not going to be restored. That a new mm -hmm. union had to be created. Um, the the results of the peninsula and Shenandoah Valley and Second Manassas basically converted Lincoln's thinking to that emancipation was good, was a necessity. Um, so you could argue, um, justifiably, that no, without Second Manassas, we're not talking emancipation. Mm -hmm. um, or you could say just without the summer of 62, you're not talking emancipation. Um, so, uh, yes, they were union defeats, but one, the soldiers wanted it that way, and two, it's an invaluable part of the story for why, you know, the the ebb and flow of the war went the way it did. Sure. And I'm working on pulling this up now, and Noel just sent us a really cool picture of a yeah, cyclorama yeah. of Manassas. Yeah, I just, I just took a look at that. Yeah. So I'm working on getting that up now. And Eric Cole over on Facebook says, hey, friends. Hey, Eric, I hope you're having a wonderful evening Sunday. Hope you had some good time watching football. It was a very interesting day for football, that's for sure. Or working your seventy hour week or whatever it is. <laughs> I know I thought seventy two hours. Oh man, you do work a lot. You Eric. Yeah, it's no like kid. a rest, mate. Hats off to you. Come join the unfiltered and listen to us chat away about Manassas tonight. But I'm gonna go ahead and get this photo up here because I saw the photo and was like, okay, this needs to be seen. Noel, thank you so much always for your expertise and your photos here. Is there any chance we can see that today, Tim? Do you know anything about the story behind the cyclorama of Manassas? Because I've this is the first time I've ever seen I'm that. I'm trying album. to remember. I get the two, the, well, there were, th I believe, three cycloramas made about the war, uh, about various battles of the war. Um, <laughs> the first uh, and the one most people know is uh, Gettysburg, you know, the Philip, Philip, one uh, that you can see up there at the visitor center in Gettysburg. The other one is the uh, Battle of Atlanta cyclorama, which is visible um, out, I think it's outside Grant Park in Atlanta. And that's um, really interesting. Um, the third was a, a Manassas cyclorama painted in 1860 you know, 1886, mid 1880s, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but they're missing. Really? So, yeah. You want to go on a detective hunt? Go for That's it. That's one to go Try on. Track. Yeah. 
I would love to find it because this picture he sent us is really interesting. I'm still trying to figure out why I can't pull it up on my laptop here. It's first for me. But I found that absolutely interesting. I'm see if it's in my save pictures huh well while i'm trying to find that if you guys want to continue the conversation here i'm going to work on getting that up here because i definitely want these folks to see that at home so we got yeah any... so um going back to the book club so what's the idea is are we going to uh, encourage other people to read this and then what what's oh 100 are, are we all going to come on and discuss it with other people as well that's i mean that's the goal is to a just have the book shared. Let's let's talk with our viewers about what they think of the book. If they want to engage, you know, this is also up to you guys. You don't, of course, we're not like, hey, go. And then the maybe eventually, talk. could we have the author on uh, at some point? And that's what the hopes are. At the end of the day, we'll mm -hmm. contact and see what we can do. I mean, you know, no promises there because this is a brand new concept for us is to do this book club thing. And I'm sure, yeah. you know, we have some authors coming up. In fact, February fourth, we have Chris Bryan that just wrote Antietam to Ant, or uh, sorry, Cedar Mountain to Antietam about the twelfth core, which will include Second Manassas. So would that would be also very interesting to talk about um, just that whole entire period there in 1862. So we're looking forward to that. Make sure you guys tune in on February 4th for that event. It's going to be very awesome. And this book isn't even out yet by the time we talk. So this is going to be cool. You guys kind of get a first glance at what the book's going to be. So make sure if you tune in to go on Amazon or wherever books are sold that you can get this Savage Beatty, you know, and so on and so forth. Get this book by Chris Bryan. It's going to be exciting. We have a few other authors on after that as well. It's hopefully, you know, not the only three we have on this year. I have a feeling we're going to have quite a few authors on because there's supposedly quite a few books coming out this year that are going to be really interesting in the terms of Civil War. I know we have one, um, again, this is high hopes, but there's a bloody angle book coming out that I know Tim and I are extremely, extremely excited. That's going to be gory. I Probably love Jeff Wirt. Mm -hmm. Jeff Wirt writes some tremendous work, and to have a bloody angle book coming out by Jeffrey Wirt, just beyond excited for that. Yeah. So kind of what I had in mind is is yeah. Let's um, take it away. You know, I don't want to clog it up with you know a million people on the uh, on the video preferably just because I'll ruin, you know, could ruin the experience, but through, you know, set up, you know, people can engage, watch the video, engage via questions. We're happy to put those up. Uh, yes. Move towards an off, off an author uh, appearance if we can, but throw in the, in the mix there visits to the site interspersed. Mm -hmm as well yeah. so as we talk about stuff throw in visits to the site and be like hey remember last week we talked about this so yeah this is what it looks like today type that, stuff that, that sounds exciting yeah so um we want to maximize engagement we also want it to be you know visually appealing mm. um so i mean so it, like you said take take one of those chapters and go to the actual spot what the chapter absolutely yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, maybe the the first such video it would be good to go to Cedar Mountain and show that battle and and you know that's yes I I did a video there or but can always do more. Um, yeah, sure, and I would love to be able to spend some time with you there, Tim, because you and I haven't done um, Cedar Mountain together yet. Yeah, I gotta do it before ticks get bad. So we might well, have to break the cold, They're folks. all dead at the moment. Here we well, go. One, one would hope they're all dead. 
This is the Cyclorama building for the Manassas and or second bull run Cyclorama, which gosh, I would love to see that painting. So it is either it is either on the site of the reflecting pool between the Lincoln and the yeah, I see the monument on the Lincoln or in the Washington Monument, or it's on the site of the mall. Mm. Huh. That's pretty. Mm. Wow. The Atlanta one looks very similar. Yeah. So you said the painting itself is long gone. Well, it, it different private owners may have parts of it, but parts of I it. haven't even seen a full video, a full uh, picture, photograph of the entire thing. So I don't believe it exists. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I and until today, I didn't even know that there was a cyclorama on Second Manassas. So that's new to me too. That's pretty damn cool, though. But yeah, I, I think this idea is really cool because, you know, we do have that access to these locations and these sites. So mm -hmm. we can easily, you know, read a couple chapters and be like, well, hey, we're talking about Bronner Farm this week. So let's go out to Bronner Farm and let's take a few videos from Bronner Farm. But let's also let's do a build up to the second Manassas battle. Let's go to Cedar Mountain and let's go talk about what happens up there. Because Cedar Mountain starkly pretty much almost looks like it did during the battle still. Mm hmm. So especially that battlefield, you can go and show them where the gate, what is it, the Winder Gate? Or is that right? I think they just called it the gate. The gate. Um, but yeah, we can go to the gate. We can go to that portion of the battlefield. One of the things I really liked and just kind Tenth of main. I'm sorry? 10th main. 10th main, uh-huh. <laughs> Tim's favorite's 10th oh, main. Oh, you had a cough then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought too when I heard 10th main in that cough. I was like, wait a minute, what regiment? <laughs> Um, no, but, uh, the, the second Manassas battlefield's cool and all, but I have also been to Cedar Mountain once. I haven't been more than once, but one thing that stuck out to me, and again, it's not really battle-related, it's more modern-day, but those silhouettes there, uh, one of the best pictures I ever took on a Civil War battlefield that ended up a black and white, I had an angle where I caught one of those um, cast-iron soldiers that are against the fence there, mm -hmm. the pickets or the sharpshooters, if you will. I caught one, and it's, it looks like a reenactor holding his rifle up to the fence the way I was able to take the picture. And it, it's not just, oh, a cool picture, but it, it brought out a lot for me going to that site and taking that picture because it really was just that that Civil War experience, if you will. You know, when you go to those battlefields, you have that moment, and I like to call it the battlefield speaking to you. That was my moment at Cedar Mountain was having that picture that I took because it just it encapsulated my experience at Cedar Mountain. Uh, one book I read before going there was uh, one that I actually read in preparation for studying and teaching at the Jackson Death Site. Because one of the places when I was doing what I call house interp was the Jackson Death Site. And I wanted to know so much about Jackson that I could even tell you about why his rusted sword stuck to its scabbard. And Jackson was flailing around a scabbard instead of his sword at the Battle of Cedar Mountain. Mm -hmm. Or for some folks that have studied that battle, know it's also known as Slaughter Mountain, not because of the battle, but because a gentleman by the last name of Slaughter, similar to Montgomery Slaughter, who was the Civil War time mayor of Fredericksburg, not the same person. It may be the same family. I'm not 100% sure on that. We'll talk later about that once we can get some concrete evidence there. But Slaughter Mountain is what today would be known as Cedar Mountain. Uh, I believe, was it Yule or Early who has artillery up on Cedar Mountain itself that plays havoc on the Union troops there in that field by the gate? Yule's out that way. 
Cerise Yule. Yeah, I mean, and that there was a there's flank markers at Cedar Mountain too. I also found that really interesting. Not many, but there's there's a few. Did you also know there are two? Just kind of off note, there are two flank markers out at Chancellorsville. Yep. Yeah, the Indiana troops. Yep, and then uh, there's a couple cool monuments there too. You know, they have the Fifth Wisconsin's out there. Um, at Cedar cool Mountain. One. Yeah. I didn't see that when I went. We'll have to go sometime. Well, you obviously yeah, well. wasn't with the uh, the right person. Tyler. That's right. I need to. I think I need to. Make One of them is on private too. property, and I know Eric Wittenberg's been out there about and have those kind of connections yet. There's so. a monument out <laughs> on private property out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget who. I think it's it isn't to the Fifth Wisconsin. I don't think, but. Um, the fifth Wisconsin monument's accessible. Um, so it's decent. So it's worth going out to. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Cedar mountain itself is worth going out to because it's pretty well preserved from what I, from what I've seen anyways. And there was, when I went that house that was out there, whatever structure was on the field was like just recently torn down. It's where you could still sort of see, there was something out in a grove of woods, um, I'm trying to remember exactly where that was. Um, yeah, it's probably gone. So it's been a while since you've been there because it's probably – you probably went there before I ever went there. Yeah. I I kind of – you know, it's pristine and no one goes. So nine times – I don't actually think I've ever been there when there was someone else there. So Myself and my friend were the only ones there when we went. You know, usually I'll have, you know, my kids. I went once with my kids and my dad. So – um will you will you stop discussing all these new places because i'm gonna to have to extend my trip again aren't i you know oh man gosh you have to extend your trip <laughs> i gotta fold it what haven't we shown darren yet yorktown could take a couple days because now i've got to go to yorktown as well yes you do you might have to extend your trip dude i'm telling you because i want to take you to yorktown for more than <sighs> one day. yeah i know that you need more one day at yorktown you can do it pretty good in a day you know, that was my excuse to go to Mob Jack Bay twice, Tim. You just may have messed Sorry. up my excuse. Well, it all depends. I mean, what are you trying to do at Yorktown? I mean, if you're... You want some coffee? You know, theoretically, if you... Well, they have good tea there, too, Darren, by the way. Oh, shit. Yeah, you just extended his trip. I did like coffee, <laughs> though. Yeah. Um, but the... Uh, Anyway, Tim, soon you'll get to discuss the revolution with me. Because hopefully you'll come and join me on a podcast. Sure. You should. We're, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to start a thing called, so I've done the English Civil War series. I want to do the revolutionary series. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of heartbreak there. And there's only one historian I want on that podcast. Thanks, guys. Now, of course, dude. You got me obsessed with Yorktown. And we're going to do a series from... How it starts all the way. Because I'm going to be completely honest with you, Tim. As much as I am excited for this book club, there is this itching part of me to pick up another Yorktown book right now. I'm not done with my Yorktown fix. I've got Philbrick staring me in my face right now, and I've got Bull Run over here. I'm like, hmm, which one do I pick up? It's going to be Bull Run because that's currently what we're working on for you folks. Mm. I'm excited about this Bull Run book, actually. I'm, I've, so I've managed good. to find a copy for about eight pound. What would that be in American dollars, my friend? Um, right. 10, 12, something like that. Not bad. Yeah, and I've got the um, 
free delivery. Tim's got a great series of maps too. I and mean, I've got the corresponding troop movement maps to go with that. So we've got a lot of cool things that we can actually bring. So it's going to go a little above just the bull run thing. Now, of course, we're not like, hey, folks, if you're here for the book club, pick up this book and that book and this map mm -hmm. and this map. The maps that we're using are actually free and accessible on the Library of Congress website. So you can absolutely follow along. And also on the National Park Service website for Second Manassas, the book that I'm referencing, the uh, true movement map of Second Manassas, is also free and accessible so you guys can absolutely follow along with us it's not expected because we'll obviously provide content on that but if you're interested in kind of really following along with the minutia and the nitty-gritty stuff that we're going to be doing it's all there for you free 99 and we're like i said it's exciting because that gives us the ability to really go in depth with this one we're not going to have to just be you know what the book says and that uh, Nate Provo says, what book will you cover? Second Manassas, the uh, return to bull run book by John J. Hennessy. And Nate converted their $16 us. Thank you, buddy. Noel Harrison comes in commenting as well. A couple images of the now lost interior of the cyclorama. It was also on display in Norfolk for the Jamestown expo in 1907. There's Jamestown again, because I was going to say me and Darren are going to be talking about Jamestown soon on his podcast as yeah, well. We're definitely going to do Jamestown. Please and thank you. And Tim, you got to help me with that one too. I want you there with me. We'll do Jamestown. It's just, it's just, we'll Jamestown. you can't get the three unfiltered historians not together. It's just. No, that's it. We're going to do that. Definitely. Yeah, it's great. All right. And yeah, I want to pull uh, that picture up too. I, that, I still uh, haven't we'll finished my, uh, my, uh, English Civil War book, audio book yet. But I you know, I was it. looking at Barnes & Noble for that and, uh, nope, didn't find it. Um, I'm definitely, definitely going on to the revolution next. Oh my That's gosh. my destination. Y'all gotta leave me alone in a beginning of April, though. Taking out. You gotta share what Shiloh. you see in the beginning of April, sir. Yeah, Shiloh. Yeah. It's all about Shiloh yeah, in April. Of course, yeah. Um, I'll make sure and, beginning and, of April, Tim Smith's book is one of the ones that's Tim in Tim as my... well. I know you, you're quite fond of uh, Vicksburg as well, aren't you? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll be there two, three days before that too. Because <laughs> so. I, I really am looking for an expert in Vicksburg as well, you know, and uh, well, hopefully I don't guy. have to look too far for that either. <laughs> yeah, for a paper I just wrote, I had uh, for grad school, I had... Um, probably read more about Vicksburg in a shorter period of time than any battle I've ever read about. So mm -hmm. yeah, I can talk about it a bit. Yeah. I mean, that's a thing is with Vicksburg, it's such a long campaign, isn't it? It's what do you focus on? I suppose, but um, yeah, we'll definitely discuss that at another, at some point because the West is interesting. I think it needs a bit more focus. I think I'm in agreement with you. Um, and the, one of the things Dave Powell Although it is getting more focused than it used to. I think. It is. He told yeah. me that. I loved it, his quotation. He said, go west, young man. Go west. And I've been looking at that. Yeah, you definitely. There's some interesting. I mean, and, 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 and Shiloh is an interesting battle, Tyler. It really is interesting. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten a little through it so far with Tim Smith's book on yeah. Shiloh. Uh, but, I of mean, course, I time You get that point again. of the battle where, you know, the Union Army uh, near enough pushed into the river, you know pretty much and then they you know not pushed into the river but of course then you've got the loss of uh sydney johnson as well you know this is one of the images from the link 
Noel sent us. I'm not going to put every single one up because I think I want to make sure we incorporate all of them into our book talk there. But this is pretty Mm. damn cool. Mm. I've never seen that before. That's awesome. Noel, thank you so much. I think I may have seen it in an old book a long time ago, but. Yeah, and there's uh, you know what I'll show another one because they're these are so cool. Um, let me see if I can find the one. Yeah, here. You know the, you're visiting you're visiting Shiloh in at the beginning of April, then Tim, aren't you? I'm going for the one sixtieth. You're going for the one, yeah. So that's pretty cool. And I go I'm there because jealous. my I had a first cousin. Well, one mm-hmm. I'm a grant guy. Two, uh, my uh, first cousin was in the Eighth Illinois, and I had a couple. Uh, Cousins in the 11th Iowa. Um, and then, um, uh, you know, a very distant cousin was one of the uh, general officers on the other side. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I'm really going there for my, for my uh, first cousin who I've done a lot of research on. Um so and Nate asks, says, "Do not focus on the hornet's nest. That will not uh, be my focus area um, when I go there. It won't be your focus area. Nah, I, they did a lot of sharpshooting on the um, Grant. Actually, nearly comes to um, blows. Um, nearly gets shot, doesn't he? With uh, two of his subordinates at Shiloh. That's yeah. Sherman." That's Sherman. So apparently one of the, one of their horses gets shot. Yep. And he loses the guy loses his hat in the in the, the scramble Sherman to get away. Shot and, in his hand. and he says, well, I'm not going back for that hat. <laughs> they get a bit too close. But uh it's a great story. Yeah, I mean Shiloh's a very interesting battle. Um you know, it isn't you know, I think it says a lot about a lot of different characters. Grant, especially, it talks yet again about mm-hmm. his coolness and his ability to respond in crisis. Which yeah, that's, now, that's the thing, yeah. At that point, he's done it twice. You know, mm-hmm. he kind of, you know, he got punched in the mouth a little bit at Fort Donaldson uh, when yeah. the Confederates launched their quote-unquote breakout attack. Um, and then, of course, at Shiloh, granted, keep in mind, he... You know, this is coming from a Grant fan. Grant uh-huh. said his entire life that he was not surprised at Shiloh. He was Grant not was surprised. surprised Grant, Grant uh-huh. was surprised at Shiloh. Um, you've, you've got Lou Wallace getting lost. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, even after the war, Grant kind of backed off that a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, emotions run heavy during things. You want yeah, something. You, you think you've given orders on a very specific thing and they're not there. Um, and people say, Oh, would will comment. Oh, Grant was a liar. Right. Because Grant Whoa. clearly was surprised yet. He, he said, no. he wasn't. and I'm like, there was well, no surprise. Let, there was no let, surprise. Let's go back and let's look. He, he had won a decisive victory capturing an army. And his boss's response was to fire him. So, this is how boss after, Henry how, Yeah. How There's after also, uh, how after uh how after a a victory in what was then the bloodiest battle in American history, mm-hmm. uh when all the evidence points to you being surprised, how are you gonna avoid getting fired again? Which he really doesn't avoid, but uh you're gonna say, I wasn't surprised. 
and it, it makes no perfect, surprise. It, it makes no. perfect sense. I mean, they they make out that a lot of the men were killed in their tents. They was not killed in their tents. No, that that is a myth. That is a myth. But that, that is a myth. That being said, it was a surprise in the sense that his entire army was not up there on line awaiting That's an right, attack. Yeah. They were in their camps by and large. Mm -hmm. um, and also Don Carlos Buell was not there yet as well, you know? Damn, That's Darren, you know more thing. than I do about Shiloh. Yeah, well, because I did two videos on it. You did indeed. So Nate comments his – he, uh, he believed in decisive battle. That's true until Shiloh. Until after Shiloh. Sh after Shiloh, Grant decides uh, decisive battle, you know, it's not going to go that way. Um, and by decisive battle, what they're talking about, and they, they all have one battle in mind, you know, they have Waterloo in mind, right? They think mm -hmm. everything's going to, going to, going to be a, uh, you know, one battle and then the war is basically over. Um, but if you look at it and you look at Napoleon, yeah, a couple of his campaigns were that way, but you know, tying into the British experience of the Napoleonic Wars, uh, the Peninsula War was not a, a decisive battle type uh, campaign either. You know, they no. fought for several years there. So um, even then, they 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 read their history wrong there. Um, and very few in Napoleon's wars, the various wars of the coalitions against him were ended in one battle um so and for all intents and purposes very few wars since have been ended that way um if any so it's interesting to think and ruminate on but i can't wait to go i was last there when i was six or seven years old so wow and i've never been to vicksburg so uh that's i haven't either that's bucket list item number one and so it's been, got, it's um, been so long since I was at Shiloh that I think it deserves mm -hmm. to go back in the bucket. <laughs> so I've still got the write-up that I did for my uh, – because I did this podcast on my own, and they're probably not great because it was in the early days. But oh, I did a two-part Shiloh, mm -hmm. two Shiloh uh, podcast, and it was about 30 minutes each one. So um, – and I've got the write-up still. So um, – Grant's, Grant's orders from Major General Henry Halleck were not to bring on in general engagement, wasn't it? So they were supposed mm -hmm. to literally... I mean, they, they thought that they were going to attack them at Corinth. Mm -hmm. but, Corinth but Sidney Johnson said, well, they're there. Let's go and attack them. But he was supposed to wait until Don Carlos Buell's army of the Ohio came as well so they could concentrate their whole force. And literally all Pittsburgh Landing was was a staging area for the Union Army. Yeah, so he could train because most of his army was green. Mm -hmm, exactly. Um, but but they do. I mean, the the, the battle starts at like three o'clock in the morning or something. So it's not a surprise. I think it's something. It's really early in the morning, from what I remember. Well, it, I mean, there from I think like we're skirmishes. You know, I think we're. I think there we're talking semantics when we use the word surprise, right? Yeah. They're surprised in the sense that the 11th Corps surprised was they're cooking dinner and the deer bound out of the woods and yada, yada, yada. The, Shiloh isn't that. It, it was a surprise in the sense that 
until he knew there was an attack, Grant mm-hmm. was under impression he was not being attacked. Um, so it, it wasn't a surprise in the sense that it, it resulted in an immediate union route across the line. No. Um, it was very much a fighting withdrawal. The Confederates would overwhelm positions, but they they you're right. They weren't not caught in their so, tent. So, so, was- so first contact was 3 a.m. in the morning between Colonel Everett Peabody and he was commanding a first brigade sent to patrol. And so that was like 250 men. Yeah, who then gets sued out for bringing on a German engagement. Um, was it the 25th Missouri? Yes. Or something like that. Yeah. Yep, and then you had the... Uh, guys, you know, it's just the way it is. That's the way it works, you know. And then you had the... Uh, what is but then it, the real uh, fighting starts at 515. Yeah, and that's with the uh, Wisconsin guys. Is it the mm-hmm. 16th Wisconsin? Yeah, 16th Wisconsin. But it's engaged. Grant is having his breakfast when he hears the artillery ten miles down at um, Savannah. Yep, and he 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 says, "Gentlemen, the the game, the ball's begun, or the game's afoot, or whatever." Something like that. that And he's literally straight down that river. Well, he goes to Crump's Landing and he tells Mm -hmm. Lou Wallace to get his men ready to move, and that he'll send orders. He gets to Pittsburgh, and by then the the landings. Warmed with refugees from the broken Union units. He sends off a messenger to Lou Wallace to tell him to come by the quickest road possible. Um, yeah. And then he rides out and he gets a feel for what's going on on the at the front. He meets with Sherman. He, you know, meets with Prentice and McClernand, who uh Hurlbert um and those were his division commanders uh i don't know if i don't know if he actually met with whl wallace or not but mm. it's interesting that the loss in the union command was nearly as substantial as in the confederates yes they lost sydney johnson but you know whl wallace was one of grant's six division commanders he's out of action prentice is captured sherman gets lightly wounded in the hand um peabody who discovered the attack and probably mm-hmm. did more than anybody to prevent it from being a surprise caught in your yeah. camp type moment uh he pays with his life after getting chewed out by prentice for bringing on a general engagement um, also another factor is nelson is is told to leave quite early and doesn't actually leave until the afternoon does he paul nelson i've always wondered what leave i've always wondered i've always wondered what uh hand what role buell had in that um because that i mean basically that's where this rivalry between the army of the tennessee and mm-hmm. the the future army of the cumberland uh which is what the army of the ohio becomes uh that's where it begins and that rivalry in a very real sense uh still exists to this day really and and when grant arrives am i right in saying that the most of the army of the uh federal armies in in retreat at that point back to the river i wouldn't say even most of it because mcclernand's men are holding sherman's Mm -hmm. men are are reforming and holding hurlbut's men don't really break in at all um because the confederates failed to really hit the union left and force it away from the river which was keep in mind this was all beauregard's plan uh so that that was their intention was kind of to go this way and and loop up and push the Union Army back up against the swampland of Owl Creek and away from the landing. 
um, instead they do literally the opposite um, and they they push them to uh, pretty much to the right rear and back up to the landing and and from there Grant's able on the high bluffs uh, to to form his last line which was pretty much impregnable yeah. uh, whether or not he could have counterattacked with his own forces you know the fresh division under Wallace plus the reformed other divisions maybe he could have maybe he couldn't have we don't know it didn't work out that way um, certainly the army and, uh, of the, Ohio, the army of the Ohio men contributed the, uh, as it was the gunboats come up during the night don't they and they absolutely pound the Confederates don't they yeah, and it's keep in mind it's a horrendous night, torrential downpour, mm. and then you throw into that the huge shells coming from the gunboats. It's Fifty naval cannons they use. Yeah, and on then the, on the Confederate positions, and then the sounds. I mean, there's stories about you know. Yep. Shiloh is probably the biggest. Night. You know, wilderness. You have the flames mm -hmm. and the wounded. Mm -hmm. Shiloh, you have the have an equivalent. You have the hogs and the wounded. Because literally the oh, hogs God, come out and they worse. start, think, they go after. So is it, what's worse? Being eaten alive or burnt alive? Mm, that's like apples. I mean, there, you're talking that's a, awful. there you're talking six half dozen. And um, yeah, Shiloh's a horrendous battle. I mean, and it's it's up there with among the uh, the most wow, difficult, ba difficult battles to understand. I mean, um you know, I've been doing this most of my life. You know, the wilderness yeah. is is somewhat hard to understand. Chancellorsville's hard to understand, and Shiloh's hard to understand, right. uh, in part because of the terrain and mm -hmm. and certain elements of you know wilderness, Chancellorsville, and Shiloh involve surprise. Yeah. Um, right. So when you start talking that, I've got to stand on that Shiloh battlefield one day. I've got to stand there. You'll yeah, you know, Shiloh's a place I haven't been to either, oh, so that stand there. you and I would be seeing the same thing for the first time, Darren. I will have goosebumps. Now, um, the picture I just put up there is actually not of Shiloh. That is looks actually, like the bloody angle. No, nope. that's 2nd Manassas. Okay. Do you know the story behind that, Darren? No, I don't. Please tell. Ooh, it's the rock fight. Okay, yeah, I'll get you. So into the railway cut. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sorry, railroad cut. Railroad cut, yes. Keep there in mind, the, the terrain isn't what they call the unfinished railroad is actually a more appropriate name. It isn't a cut mm -hmm. the entire link. Yeah, when they build railroads, they they're unless it's going on completely flat terrain where the terrain where the mm -hmm. uh, tracks sit right on the ground, which is rare. You have two features. If it's going through a ridge, you have a cut. And that's what's okay. happening here. In yeah. other places, it forms more or less an embankment. And that's what you call fill. So those two features, cuts and fills, are what make up the unfinished railroad grade and what the Confederates use. One's more akin to a trench. That's the, uh, the uh, deep cut that you know this is showing. And then the others would be like uh, earthen embankments, and those are mm -hmm. the fills. So, where, what was the destination of this unfinished railway railroad cut? It would head out towards Gainesville, ultimately, mm -hmm. like out in the direction of Gainesville, Warrenton, which you know, areas like that. Okay, yeah. 
That's really cool. That is a cool picture. Thomas was undefeated. Let me start with this one first. We have a slew of comments here. There you go. Tim, do you have any retort to that? Um, I suspect there's an element of sarcasm in that comment. Big time. That's yes. a uh, big time sarcasm comment there. Yeah, Nate does like a, a bit of sarcasm. So Thomas, cheeky little so -and -so, I mean, isn't he? Th Thomas was theoretically undefeated as an army commander. Um, so yeah, cool, great. He's part of an army that loses a Chickamauga, though. So, but he, of course, does yeah, not so get saddled with any of that. Make way um, for Sheridan. Make way for Sheridan. Sorry. I can generally agree with that statement. But anyway, one of the most famous sayings is said under that tree between Sherman and Grant. Lick him tomorrow. There you go. That's a hell's day, didn't we, was it? We had a, what was that? What was the Sherman say? I can't remember now. Sorry. He says, uh, he comes up to Grant and he goes, well, Grant, we've had the devil's own day, yeah, haven't good. we? And Grant goes, yep, lick him tomorrow, though. And it's just, that's, okay. that is so Grant. You know, and it, there's a great painting done by, uh, is it Gallon? I think. The, old the one yeah, you and I like where they're in the rain. The, yeah. Yep, where they're in the rain underneath yeah. the tree. If I had, if, you know, I've got some artwork, but if I had to get, say you know, i had to get one piece of civil war artwork it would be that piece um you want me to find it and show them what we're talking about oh, yeah go for it might as well it's accurate too it's got sherman with a bandage on his hand it's it's mm. amazing you know and uh you know that's a good an interesting quote too because when sherman rides out there he's livid Mm. He thinks he thinks, it, he thinks his troops have well, brought on tough day, isn't he? He's, he's got green troops, isn't he? He's trying to he's thinking about relieving one of his brigade commanders, mm. and you know, then his staff guy says, "General, general, turn to your right, turn to your right," and they turn there and confront line, and that line delivers a volley and it kills his aide, kills a horse, and hits Sherman in the hand. And that's Sherman, right, he kills his horse. Yeah, that's right. Sherman's yeah. like, "My God, we're attacked!" I mean, mm -hmm. it's very like. One of those moments where if he had to go, if he could go back and watch a replay of it, he'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I for, actually for said me, that." Shiloh, the second day at Shiloh is one of the biggest turning points of that 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 the Western Theater. Some people would say that it's after Shiloh, after the Confederates failed to destroy Grant, that he uh, that the war's over. And oh. I don't know that I'd go quite that far, but it was oh, so a. Cool. Terry moment. Yep, you got Sherman there, the kind of skinny guy. You guys right hand back bandage, and you have Grant holding the lantern. Um, he had tried to go into a cabin that was officially his headquarters, but it was being used for That's wounded. Right. And Grant yeah. was have just couldn't stomach that, so he, he went back out to that tree. Um, and he would sleep under the tree. Uh, so. Wow. Is that true? And, you know, there? like I said, uh, that that quote no, is a little bit above the Civil War, even in modern day. When I have a hard day, a lot of my friends remind me of that quote mm -hmm. that Grant says. Yeah, look on the morrow, though. And after that's Shiloh, one of my favorite. That, that helps a lot too. Grant is is uh, again Halleck is jealous, and he's uh, put oh, on to Halleck. pulled out of. Uh, Pulled off command for a little while. Is that right? You know, it takes him more than 30 days 
to move the combined army, his combined force, which he puts Grant as second in command to, and Grant's not happy about it. Right. But he, uh, it takes him 30 days to move. They move at an average pace of less than two miles a day. Uh, well, less than two miles a day. Um, sometimes they move a mile a day and then they fully entrench and then they pick up the next day and they move forward. And, you know, that March can and could have been done in a day. Um, so you and I'll disagree on that one. Cold Harbor isn't easy. Don't get me wrong. And if you factor in a lot of the thing, things that people don't typically think of basically anything that isn't the first through third of June, then yes, there, there, he does make a good point. Um, right. But there it's, at that point, it's so big. It isn't your typical civil war battle by that point. I think when people are talking about the difficult battles to understand, you're talking about the, the more open field set pieces um, battles, like to an extent Shiloh, even though this was, what did they refer to Shiloh as the, you know, two mobs coming together was how they, they thought of it. I mean, Shiloh isn't much of a step up in terms of training from first Manassas or first bull run. Right. You know, can I just ask him for someone that's been to Shiloh, um, is the ground quite well preserved there? Uh, yes. And keep in mind it was a long, long time ago, but uh, I was struck by that and I've stayed kind of on top of it. They, It's literally in the middle of nowhere. So yeah. it was relatively easy to preserve, but the dimensions of the fields have also stayed intact, which if you've been to most civil war parks, the, the fields, you know, areas that were open fields are now entirely wooded. Mm. Um, you know, woodlots that were open since they no longer graze animals there have become totally uh, covered in brambles, briars, and, you know, such. Um, Shiloh really doesn't have that problem. Um, so, yes, it's probably... Of and the major civil war battles, is there a church there? It that's reconstructed, um, okay. but so is Dunker Church. But and that's yeah. really the comparison uh, for something you'd understand, um, having been there recently. Shiloh is the Antietam of the West in terms of battlefield preservation. Nice. In okay. fact, it's probably more accurate to say that, given that they built Antietam off of the Antietam plan that Antietam is the Shiloh of, of battlefield preservation. Mm. Um, Shiloh was before Antietam um, in terms of preservation. So um, keep in mind the, the same guy uh, who wrote it, who wrote uh, Carmen, he had mm -hmm. a hand in Shiloh and Chickamauga. Um, I think he may, I may be wrong on Shiloh, but I know he was in on Chickamauga. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great. Definitely. I'll visit that one. Day. Yeah, I know. I'm excited to hear about your report from that battlefield. Cause we're going to well, expect I'd like to see, I'd like to see a couple of videos, Tim, you know, if you please, I was yeah, hoping you had that got, the only way that I won't is if self service is so bad that mm. I can't, but you could, you could record, record, live, but I could do videos. Mm -hmm. I would do the, mm -hmm. I can record them and post them later. Yes. Yeah, yes, that please. that would be preferred. If you can't do yeah. it live, 
completely understand, but give us one or two of those pre-recorded mm. Tim videos, please. Yes, please. Sure. Those would be. We definitely want our chief historian to record a couple of videos. I'm gonna have to back the Brit for once. I'm I'm, I'm for oh, it. No. Even though I want to take your tea and just dump it right mm. in the harbor, I'm gonna go ahead and agree with Tim there. But, hey, and now that I'm studying Yorktown, you know how much I want to dump your tea in the harbor even harder now. <laughs> Like Why I don't just take you to Boston and put it where it belongs. Did you just admit that it belongs in the Boston Harbor? No, I'm joking. I'll no, you're not. No, 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 no. You yeah, there's, you there's, an, there's, an, there's yeah. another surprise that is likely for July. Mm. Ooh. What are we gonna talk about in July? Well, that's when I'm likely going up to Boston. Oh, please throw tea in that goddamn harbor. You throw tea and we won't talk ever in that one, No, but I will, I will be, you know. Please. There's there's no chance I'm going within 100 miles of Boston and not going to Lexington and Concord. So I will be there. That's mm-hmm. even better than the Boston Tea Party. Yep. Well, Bunker Hill, there's nothing to see, according to my son, who's been there. which is He told of, me. Yeah, I was disappointed. Oh, he rubs that. Everyone rubs these places in. For most of my life, my father rubbed in that he'd been to Alamo and I hadn't. And now I've got my son telling me he's been to Bunker Hill and I haven't. So, <laughs> you know. Means you got to go to Bunker Hill, dude. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's a, mon- it's a monument surrounded by, by tall uh, – tall buildings you can't there's no sense of the ground so so there's all like it's literally encapsulated by all these tall buildings now yeah but but the neighborhood or city of charleston is now or charlestown is uh totally overwhelmed that entire peninsula so it's gone um that's depressing well it's it is what it is i guess they i mean it probably was that way before the turn of the 19th century to be honest with you is it um, one of those cases like oxil where it's like it's better to have something than nothing well to be honest the the best equivalent for bunker hill based on what i've seen on videos and what my son others have told me is that it's much like getty it's sorry not it's much like fredericksburg how really before anyone thought about preservation it was already gone um i mean yeah fredericksburg was quick I don't think I think Charlestown had had surrounded Bunker Hill before the year 1800. So it was, you know, more people came, immigrants came and they went to the the major cities. They went to New York and I mean, talk about another battlefield or, you know, the Battle of Long Island's gone, like gone, gone. Uh, Mm. The site of the Maryland uh, 200 or whatever they're buried underneath city streets in New York, um, white plains and all those battlefields gone. Um, you know, a lot of the revolution sites, you know, we have, we're fortunate to have what we have, you know, we have Saratoga, which is up there in preservation with like Shiloh. We have, you know, Monmouth, Monmouth state park in, uh, New Jersey is well-preserved. Um, Guilford Courthouse, not so much, but you know, we have some. Mm-hmm. Cowpens is, is intact, Kings Mountain's intact. 
Um, Charleston, South Carolina, not so much. Um, but you know, we what we have, we're we're fortunate to have in in a lot of ways. That doesn't mean we shouldn't stop fighting. And even a lost battlefield, you know, look at Franklin twenty years ago versus Franklin today. So they've done a lot of good there. Good. Well, gents, does anyone have any closing comments before we uh, shoot off of here tonight? No, looking forward mm -hmm. to to the book study. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, if you're interested, again, uh, before we close out here, we are going to be reading The Return to Bull Run by John J. Hennessy. I'm going to dive into this a little bit tonight and get it further than Chapter mm -hmm. 2. But, of course, we will discuss up to Chapter 3, our next thing. So if you guys have the opportunity, you have two weeks to um, catch up to where we're at. Yeah, Tim, I saw him. Man. Those are so disclaimer, folks. If you all see those weird people on YouTube, it's just random bots that decide to like think they're into history, and we tell them, "No, you're not. You're yeah. a robot. You're gone. Goodbye. Nice try." So anyway, I've got something to add for Olivia. So awesome. I'm only two, two weekends <laughs> away from my Torrington trip, and I'm going to oh. do a little stop along the way, and I am going to do a tiny little video about something very famous and neolithic what's that sir it's called oh I, what could it be <laughs> it's not those weird stone formations so i am going to stop there really early in the morning and shoot a tiny little video if i hear an outlander song playing while you're over there i'm running for the hills so the thing is i could go a different way but i've decided to go that route because i want to put that in there so please do place. that There'll could be a be... tiny little video about stonehenge how packed does that place get um, during the day it will get quite busy and the road going past is a nightmare because people like to rubberneck as they go past <laughs> that's like a traffic jam on 995 if somebody gets in an accident on 995 so the road is called the a303 and it goes from a dual carriageway to a single carriageway past stonehenge and it's a nightmare but when and you go that time here. in the morning in february it will be fine so I won't be able to go on the site every too early, but there's a little place I can pull over and take a little video and hopefully get it with the sun coming up if the sun's shining. <laughs> I think that <laughs> would make for a hell of a something. video. Um, for you guys, it'll be early, early hours in the morning when it goes up, but you will get to see it in the afternoon or something. But Torrington Live, almost live, is going to be very exciting. I'm excited for that. You've got me into Torrington, man. Like, out of all the English Civil War battles I could be looking into, Torrington's the one that I'm... Um, I am going to sit down, and we are going to show you all of the weapons and, and stuff he's collected from the Battle of Torrington. Yeah, I've heard Big Al has quite the collection of stuff. Oh, he has got some... Lots of lots of artifacts, yeah. Good to know. So, but we're going to go to the sites, too. So watch this space. That's what I'm talking about. Well, guys... um, Folks in the, uh, my boys in the stream, stick around for two minutes before we close out. I'm going to go ahead and exit us out of here. You guys have a wonderful evening. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We'll see you again on the next one. We're on the battlefield, like they say. I mean, I'm not, it's too cold to be on a battlefield, but you know, we're crazy. We'll be on it again soon. We'll see y'all. <laughs>